0: Welcome to Not Quiet, Just Thinking, the podcast where I tell my story in the hopes that it can inspire you to share yours as well. Hi everyone, and welcome back. It's been a while since I posted a new episode. I took two weeks off to focus on preparing for finals, and then last week I ended up getting sick and didn't have the energy to edit and get an episode out there. So I apologize for all of that, but thank you for bearing with me and... And for being back today. I am so excited because it is now May, which means that it is Mental Health Month. Obviously, mental health awareness is a priority of mine and is the center of this podcast every day of the year. But I wanted to lean into the fact that more people are going to be posting educational content and hopefully being open and sharing their own stories by continuing to do that here. I'll also be posting consistently on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, so if you have any of those platforms, follow me there to check out my content. And in talking about mental health here, I wanted to go more in-depth with my personal stories. So far, I've only really told you about the OCD that I dealt with when I was younger, which is a big part of my story and was really the beginning of all of this for me, But, but I have grown and, and kind of gotten control of those irrational fears and, and developed coping mechanisms and just really transformed the way I, I look at my mental health. And even with that, I, I still struggle. I have severe anxiety at times. I get panic attacks. And I also go through depressive times in my life. So, you know, I want to I talk about those things more and, and continue on in sharing my mental health journey i have been sort of struggling how to do that though i just want to make sure i approach it in a way that i feel comfortable and and in a way that's going to be the most effective for you all it's also a little bit harder to talk about something that i'm currently experiencing whereas with my ocd you know even though it's hard to to be that vulnerable and to share things like that it's still something i look at as sort of in the past and something i've i've conquered but both you know something that i'm still working through i don't have the answers and you know i never claim to have all the answers but but with all that i think the most important thing is just approaching this from an educational standpoint and with that being said i took some time over these last few weeks to record some episodes with mental health professionals who who are people who truly dedicate their their life to studying our brain and finding coping mechanisms and working with patients who are from all backgrounds and are dealing with a wide range of things. So that is why it's so important that we turn to them in, in this exploration of mental health, personal development, and how art plays a role in both of those topics. That being said, I'm so excited to welcome Elizabeth Bracey to today's episode. She's a therapist and counselor that works primarily with kids, and teens. In helping her clients, she incorporates art therapy in a way to help the client process their emotions, but also to learn more about what they may be going through. I learned so much and was so interested in everything Elizabeth had to say, so I know you will be too, and I hope you learned something new. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Not Quiet, Just Thinking. I am so excited to welcome Elizabeth Bracey
1: to today's episode. Elizabeth, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm really excited to, uh, to be here, so thank you so much for having me. Um, I am a high school guidance counselor as well as a private practice therapist. I have been working in mental health for roughly six years and working with children and teens for roughly 11 years. Uh, my background is. Uh, predominantly play in art therapy. That's really where I've gotten a lot of my experience from. That's where I worked um, as an intern all the way through until now at this point in my career. So I'm excited to share a little bit of my knowledge with you guys.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And you mentioned art therapy. That aligns perfectly with what I'm talking about um, and just how art can impact us. So that's really interesting. And I'm excited to hear more about that. A lot of what I've talked about so far in terms of my own mental health challenges has been when I was younger, I experienced OCD and anxiety, but I didn't really know how to communicate what I was going through just because I wasn't as educated about what those things meant. And I honestly didn't even really know there was anything wrong. So in working with children and and young teens, do you have any signs that you look for that someone may be struggling or that you
1: can share that teachers or parents could look for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say the number one is really isolation. So if you notice your child um, isolating themselves from friends, from peers, uh, within the classroom, even, you know, head down, those are really the, the signs that are more uh, noticeable. There's also the signs that maybe you have to pay a little bit more attention to. Is my child eating? Are they sleeping at night? How much time are they spending on their screen? Um, do, you know, do they want to be involved? Or are they going outside? Or are they going straight to their room um, and spending a lot of time in there? I know that COVID obviously had a huge impact on our children and teens, uh, just kind of be, you know, learning isolation and kind of learning this, you know, the, the symptoms of agoraphobia is really what we started to see when we jumped back into the world a little bit and into this, into what our new normal is. Um, I think that it impacted them so badly because, you know, from the tri-state area, we're, we're always on the move and we're so used to getting up in the morning, you know, parents are going to work, kids are going to school and the day moves quickly. And once that all stopped, I think a lot of our children and teens really didn't know how to get back into that again. And the expectations stayed the same. So what we really saw was, you know, a lot of them resorting back to their room, struggling to go to school. I would say uh, school refusal is also a big sign symptom that you want to you know talk to their doctor reach out to a therapist reach out to the school counselor to see what might be going on and what that fear is
0: thank you for sharing that um with art therapy which you shared is what you use predominantly with kids what does that look like and how how does that give kids an outlet to share what they are experiencing
1: absolutely so with both play and art therapy that we incorporate, um, we actually have a full blown playroom that we use for our therapy. And there's a variety of different tools and methods that we use. So the craft and art space that we have, we you typically will use um, projective drawings and a variety of creative drawing ideas. Some are directive, some are free association. Um, I'll give you guys an example of one of the tools that I use, it's called the Monster and Me. So. What I have the children do is I have them draw a monster or paint a monster. I I, I prefer they use paint just because it, they tend to get a little bit more creative with when the paint comes out. <laughs> um, so I have them paint the monster and then somewhere on the paper, I have them put themselves. Um, and typically what you'll see is the monster takes up the whole paper. The monster's huge, it's, it's lots of colors and it's angry. And then somewhere tiny, tiny, um, stick figure on the paper is the child and then I say to them what does the monster want from you you know you meet the monster what does this monster say to you and the child will then write down a little blurb about what the monster wants from them and then what they say back to the monster so this shows me a few things one the monster will typically represent the problem so it might represent you know you must go to school today if that's a fear that they're having Um, if they're having nightmares of any kind, typically the monster will represent the nightmares. If there's ever been trauma in the past, any kind of sexual abuse, the monster will represent that. Um, domestic violence, the monster will represent that. One of my most interesting, um, cases that I had was a domestic violence case. And the monster was, um, the individual who abused the child and the child actually put a big heart inside of the monster because it was a family member of the child. So I thought that that was really interesting. You know, their perspective, it's so interesting to see through art what they put on there and it really says, you know, there's you can't put that into words. I guess is what, you know, you really can't what they put on paper. And then the, it it also teaches the child to talk back to that monster. What would you say to that monster? And it it helps them build some resiliency.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I know even for me, and this extends to, you know, everyone, not just kids and young people, that art is definitely a way to to express the things we don't know how to put into words. So that's really powerful. Um, it's really powerful. And I'm glad you gave us um, an example of how that's being used in, in therapy. So that's great. And um, would you like to tell us about your book? I know you mentioned that you recently wrote a book. So I would like, love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would love to share. Um, So I recently wrote a book over COVID um, called Mount Evelyn erupts. So one of the tools that I use with my kiddos in the playroom is uh, the volcano technique. So I always describe to them that anger is like a volcano. Um, And I start off with these little volcanoes that you fill with baking soda. We've all done it, right? And uh, vinegar and some red food coloring. And we watch the volcano explode. We do that a couple of times You know, they they love that piece because it's messy, anything messy. (laughs) Uh, And then what I do is I have them draw a volcano for me on paper. Um, Typically, again, with paint, just because it tends to be a little bit more attractive to them. And what we do is we talk about how when we're building that volcano with the baking soda and the the vinegar and, and food coloring, how we're impacting the bottom there to the point where there's no more space for that lava to stay beneath the surface of the volcano. And once we run out of space, obviously the volcano erupts. Um, there really wasn't any kind of a story to preface the activity that I was doing with the kids. And then what I would have them do is that, you know, with their painting, I would have them um, draw the lava and show the explosion and beneath their volcano, I would tell them that the lava itself that's holding it, you're holding it underneath are really your emotions, your trauma and your experiences building. So I decided to write a book to help therapists and educators and parents and and children and teens preface this idea, this metaphor that we are volcanoes, you know, inside. And if we hold in our trauma or we hold in our experiences, we hold in our grief, those things all build on top of one another. One of the biggest things I always tell parents if they come in um, and there's been grief in the family, I say, are you seeking you know, therapy for yourself? Because we, what people don't realize is when someone passes away that's close to us, you know, we go through these, these steps of grieving. But then when people around us pass away and maybe somebody that we don't even know or we're not close with or we see it on tv those things still add up beneath us because they trigger our grief response from the first loss that we had so the volcano metaphor is really to to show you know kids and teens that when we don't release when we don't let the lid off a little bit when we don't express what's going on those things are just simply building and one day you know, we're, we're bound to explode or implode on the inside. And that's where you start to see bad behavior. That's where you start to see suicide, suicidal ideation, self-harm, substance abuse. So it's trying to stop all those things from happening in the future. So my story Mount Evelyn erupts is about a little girl who kind of goes through her morning and she just has a rough morning. It's really little things that build on top of each other, just, she has a snow day, but she's got school virtually. She doesn't like school virtually. Um, she's jealous because her baby brother doesn't have to go to school. Uh, she's, she's disappointed in herself when she spills cereal on the floor. I mean, very basic little things that you go through in the day that just tend to build onto this you know, bad day you're having. And eventually she explodes. And there's a book in her room about volcanoes. And her dad reads it to her and she falls asleep. And while she's sleeping, she dreams that she is Mount Evelyn. And she she meets with all her feelings that are different colors. And they all talk to her. And anger speaks with her and gives her ways to reset herself. Uh, and eventually she wakes up and she shares her dream with her family. So that's the story.
0: That's awesome. I love that. And that's, <laughs> that's such a great message for everyone um, out there. I think one of the biggest stigmas surrounding therapy is that it has to be something you do once you explode. Um, but it, it can be for really anyone in any, uh, in any step of their journey exploring their mental health. And yeah, that's just a great message that that you, you need to take time and, and pay attention to how you're feeling each and every day until you explode. So I, I yeah, I love that. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning, I, I had um, I've talked about how I have experienced anxiety and OCD uh, for a long time, but mainly when I was a kid. Um, can you offer us an educational standpoint about what OCD is and what it looks like? Because I know, I only know really my experiences and that's what I've shared, but I, I know that mental health can look different for everyone. So can you tell us about obsessive compulsive disorder?
1: Absolutely. Um, and I think the stereotypical OCD is what you hear people say, right? It's the, um, I clean a lot, so I have OCD. I need things to be tidy and in place, so I have OCD. And for some people, that is a part of it. Uh, but for most people, it's not. <laughs> so I, I will say from, from my point of view and from the, the children I've worked with, a lot, of the, a lot of OCD that I've seen is simply ruminating thoughts. So these thoughts and fears that come in, and they're typically very irrational fears, and the child might not even know why this fear is, is occurring. And that's my job to kind of help them to navigate where that's coming from. Um, but it's this cycle of irrational fears that may or may not lead to compulsions. So I have, you know, I've seen OCD where it's, it's from, making sure the light switch is turned on and off three times, or making sure they wash their hands three times. And then I've seen OCD where it's this constant ruminating thought over and over again that may lead to a behavior that the child not even may not even realize is uh, a compulsion. So they might not even be able to pinpoint a compulsion. And sometimes what I see is providers, um, even in the medical field, when a child starts to discuss these irrational fears that they're having. And they pinpoint this as anxiety, but it's more than just anxiety. Um, it's, it's also leading to a behavior that might not be noticeable yet, um, or the child's not able to express or communicate just yet. So, um, I, I mean, I work a lot with, with worries, just basic general worries. And that's, that's sort of how we tackle OCD. Um, best treatment for OCD is exposure therapy. It is uh, the most effective. And what I do is I always tell the, stu- the, the kids that you want to think of this as a monster inside your brain or a bully. And what we do is we draw the monster and I objectify. I, I typically objectify any type of mental health related um, disorder. And I have the child talk back to the monster, and I say, "Well, what do you say to your worry bully?" And take some time for worry time, and I have them create a worry box where there's a lid on it, and they write down their worries or they draw their worries, they put them in the box, and they close the box until it's it's worry time again. And what that does is it helps them to regain control over those thoughts, over the ruminating thoughts that they're having. Um, so, so I mean, a lot of times, again, OCD just kind of it starts. OCD starts out as this. Um, just this cycle of ruminating thoughts, I always say it's like a merry-go-round, right? And it's this merry-go-round that just doesn't stop. The coins just keep going in and it keeps going around and around. Um, and sometimes it could be something, the, the child is completely safe and secure and they have this irrational fear that there's going to be a robber in their house or um, their house is going to get struck by lightning. Um, and there's so many things. And I've really seen, again, such an uptick in this because again, I think with COVID and and everything going on in the world, they just have so many fears, like what ifs, you know, cycling around and around, and they really don't know how to control it. Um, And control is a big piece of it too. So sometimes when children are feeling very, very anxious, or they're struggling with with ADHD, or OCD, it becomes this cycle of control. So they start to recognize and realize the things that they can control. Okay. So now I can control my eating. I can control going to the bathroom. So you might, you might, you might start to see issues there where they're holding in, going to the bathroom or they're not eating because it's something that they do have control over where the, the thoughts in their mind, they do not. So it OCD also leads to a plethora of other, um, pathology as well.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It was definitely, my experience that I would have those irrational fears and they would lead to me like stepping in and out of a room because I didn't want the last thought I had in that room to be a, a negative thought. The monster um, imagery is really interesting just because it is. I always thought it was me, you know, thinking that so it helped to, to recognize that those thoughts were maybe something else or just a part of myself that I needed to take control of. So Yeah, that's really interesting. And thank you for sharing, um, sharing that. Um, Within the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be really diving into my experiences with anxiety, both um, when I was younger, but also now. And uh, a commonality between those two times in my life is that anxiety for me is mostly physical, I get migraines, I feel nauseous, I even have fainted and felt really dizzy at times. So Can you provide some insight for us into this aspect of anxiety and how it culminates physically?
1: Absolutely. So um, anxiety certainly brings about some psychosomatic and, you know, just general physical sensations. And that's something I do talk about in the book as well is just catching our physical sensations. We so often ignore the butterflies in our belly that start we so often ignore when tears start to form right because it's not socially acceptable to feel those things when we're out and we're supposed to be doing certain things and the expectations are to kind of you know be in school get in line sit at your desk and so i'm obviously using this from a child's perspective but we're we're almost taught to ignore them um and so often you know children resort to going to the nurse's office and going home and it's their escape and so they're getting the response. They're getting the reaction they need and want. And realistically, what's that? What is that doing? It's fulfilling, um, and rewarding the pathology. It's the it's rewarding the symptoms, and so it's allowing again that monster to grow. And so when we learn that, it's almost as though, again, psychosomatically, if I get a stomach ache, if I get a headache, I can I can escape. And so there's that aspect of it. And of course, there is also just our our body and our the way that our body reacts in a flight or fight situation. Um and so there there's also that where it's it might be something that we can't generally stop but but those that's where you know I come in with the coping skills with the deep breathing with the meditation with yoga with things that I know that will help the child kind of bring those sensations down but it's, it's certainly, it takes over the body. And the longer we let that go, the longer we don't let the lid off, the longer that we allow things to build up, it can really make us sick. You know, it can really, your immune system will just be, will plummet because of anxiety and because of depression. Um, it, it certainly, it certainly can take its toll. And, you know, my hope is that, you and, and I do see it happening is that we, we are starting to understand that, mental health can take just as much of a toll as you know, our physical health can. And we need to definitely place more of an emphasis on that. um, And recognize it just as much as we do with the medical community.
0: Definitely. So you mentioned uh, meditation and yoga and deep breathing. Is that something that you would recommend, you know, aside from therapy as something
1: that we could implement into our lives each day to take care of our mental health? Yes, (laughs) 1000%. I can't talk about it enough. And I was not always the biggest advocate until I really bought into it myself. Um, I recently went to a training for the nurtured heart approach, which is an extremely interesting approach to take um, with children and teens and really adults as well. And it really does teach you to be in the moment to be within each moment we have no control over the future we have no control over the past and so it's very similar to meditation and very similar to yoga is just sometimes we just need to be with ourselves and our breath and realistically that is all we have control over and it does shut out the noise that's going on around us and it shuts out the anxiety of yeah am I going to do well on this test you know what's going to happen today or the what ifs, it just turns it off for just even a minute and allows us to recognize, you know what, I don't have control over that. I only have control over this moment right now. I'm just going to take a Kodak moment, a Kodak picture in my brain of this moment and magnify that and allow that to take up the space rather than allowing this problem to take up the space.
0: Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of our interview. But thank you so, so much for being here, Elizabeth,
1: and for providing your knowledge. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to Not Quiet, Just Thinking. Again, I'm your host, Gabby. And I will see you next Monday for a brand new episode. Music by Daniel Behrens. Bye, everyone.